0: Well, we're continuing on in our passage on um, the armor of God. And after Paul lays out the armor of God, he says something pretty profound. He says, and then pray for me also, that every time that I open my mouth, that words may be given to me, that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Whoa. He's praying that the Holy Spirit would give him words. That the words that he speaks wouldn't be his, wisdom of man, which is perishing, but spiritual wisdom. He's asking to be filled with the Spirit. This is a pretty amazing concept. And as I look throughout the scriptures, all throughout the New Testament, it speaks of different disciples. When they act just in sort of human power, it sort of will say something like, and John went and did this. But when he's full of the Spirit, The scriptures will always say, and John, filled with the Spirit, and then we'll explain. There's a huge difference in our lives when we act on our own power, and when we're filled with the Spirit. Very, very different. And I sometimes read the book of Acts, and I look at my life, and I say, would my life fit in the book of Acts? Let's say that they could somehow superimpose my life 2,000 years ago. Would my life fit in there, or would it just be sort of like a laughable chapter? Kind of like, what is this doing in the Bible? Look at this. This is nothing like my life. I think about Peter. Wow. Peter, he sees a man that had been crippled since birth, which means he's never walked. And if you don't use bones, do you know what happens to bones? Is they twist and they bend. Bones actually have to be exercised. So this guy's legs would have been a twisted mess. And muscles that had never been used, his legs would have been little pegs that were useless. Peter looks down at the man who asks for money. And Peter says, silver or gold, I don't have, but what I have will make you walk again. He doesn't just pray a lazy prayer. What he does is he reaches down, he grabs the man, and he yanks him to his feet. He has so much faith. He sees his legs and he picks him up. He's setting himself up for embarrassment. There's no way that guy can walk. The guy stands. The Bible says, what does he do next? He jumps. The man jumps, and he starts running around worshiping God. Whoa, unbelievable faith. Does my life look like that? Do I have that sort of faith? Um, I think of Jose and Sylvia Garcia. Man, they encourage me. Every time they're back, I just want to sit down and pick their brains and ask them questions. And the stories are there. They're never going to just brag about them. But if you sort of get a chance to speak to them for any length of time, they'll slip a story in there that'll blow your mind. I've told you about the time that they came across a man who was dead and blue and had a a blanket over him. He was in the streets totally dead for many hours. Jose, here's just a, a gentle nudge from God that that man will have lunch with his wife. And Jose is just obedient, takes his hand out of his pocket, puts it on the man, and asks that he would come back to life, and what happens? The man gets up, and he says, I have to go. It's time to have lunch with my wife. And Jose is like, praise the Lord. (laughs) Like, unbelievable. Unbelievable. This is so awesome. God wants us to have unbelievable supernatural faith that not only does the miraculous, but also that miraculously loves. I think of Mother Teresa, and Shane Claiborne had a chance to go and meet with Mother Teresa, and um, before she died, he saw her feet and assumed that Mother Teresa had leprosy, because her feet were all, um, they were just messed up, they're completely distorted, and so Shane asked the other nuns, he said, "Uh, when did Mother Teresa get leprosy? And they said, she doesn't have leprosy. What happens is, as the shoes come in for the orphans, she is the first one to get them, because she's sort of the boss. She looks through all the shoes, and she takes the worst and smallest, and she takes those ones, so no one else has to have them. So she's wearing the worst shoes, and it destroyed her feet over her lifetime. This is love that is supernatural. This is the love that the scripture speaks about. She inspires me like crazy. This is the love of Acts chapter 2, and I want that kind of love. I want to have a life that is supernatural like that. Yesterday was the 50th anniversary of Selma. 600 marchers walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and the police came, and they, they violently beat them. And it, was, it seemed like defeat for them. But it sparked this unbelievable renewal. It gave them the right to vote. It changed absolutely everything in the U.S. as far as civil rights goes. And yesterday, President Obama gave a speech. And I was watching this speech, so curious to see where he was going to be going with this. And he ended his speech with Isaiah 40. And he just started preaching. And the audience just started cheering. It was beautiful. If you haven't seen it, look it up. And President Obama quoted, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, they will soar on wings like eagles. And the audience who had been going through so much recently, as you know, in the U.S., the African-American population has just been feeling really down this last year. There's been a lot going on in the U.S. Isaiah 40 says that you will soar on wings like eagles. In other words, you're far above your problems. You are way above all the distractions. You are soaring. You are supernatural. And I think about that and I wonder, do I have a life that is reflected by that scripture? Do I soar on wings like eagles? Or am I grounded? Am I supernatural or am I natural? The greatest promise in all of scripture, far and away, is John 3.16. Man, it's beautiful. And we hear it so much that we sometimes lose just how beautiful it is. God loves you so much, He gave Jesus, that if you believe in Him, you will have eternal life. You are given eternal life. That's far and away the best promise in all of Scripture. I believe the second best promise is Acts 1:8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. This is unbelievable. We feel so weak sometimes, I think. We feel so unable to do the things that God has called us to do. And so often we just feel selfish. Like the love that Mother Teresa showed, that we just can't possibly muster that kind of selflessness. You see, there is a second work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're speaking about this morning. It's, it's the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And everyone who decides to follow Christ receives the Holy Spirit and that is the promise of our salvation. Upon giving him your life, the Holy Spirit indwells you, fills you, and you are forever sealed in him. Ephesians 1:13. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. It's a seal. It's a beautiful thing. And so the way that we describe this to little kids is we say, do you want to invite Jesus into your heart? And the best way that we can describe the Holy Spirit coming into your life is Jesus coming into your heart. And it's sometimes cumbersome. As a little kid, I didn't really understand it. I had a lot of questions like, do I have to feed him? Like, how big is he? How is this actually going to work? And is it going to hurt? Like, there's actually a man coming into my heart? How's that going to—I don't really get this. For me— The analogy didn't work. I was a little bit too concrete of a thinker. (laughs) But we see this all throughout Scripture. I see this all the time on the ark. When kids receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and resides within them. It is the most beautiful thing. To watch somebody encounter salvation is one of the greatest pleasures on earth, I believe. This happened to the disciples. John 20, verse 22 is a fascinating passage of scripture. When Jesus appeared to his disciples after his death, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Whoa. That's pretty cool. Jesus appeared and breathed on them and they actually received salvation in that moment. Whoa. But there's something really important to note. Is that they simply received the Holy Spirit. But then he says this to them. I'm going to send you what my father had promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. He says, you've received the Holy Spirit, but you have not yet been clothed with power. He's saying, do not go out and represent me yet. Don't do it. You can't do it yet. You've received the Holy Spirit, but you have no power. Whoa, what's going on here? He's saying not to do anything because they're obviously too weak. They're just mere men. But then the power that Jesus promised comes in Acts chapter 2. The power from on high. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. These guys come alive. Peter, who is not clothed with power, but clothed with weakness, denies him three times, goes out and starts to preach so crazy that 3,000 men respond. 3,000 men, likely, there were probably 10,000 people approximately in attendance because women and children Peter would have had to be yelling. He had no microphone. He receives the Holy Spirit. He goes out and he preaches to thousands. He would have been frantic, yelling, excited. The power of the Holy Spirit coming through him. And he quotes the prophet Joel. Listen to what he says. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your men will see visions. Your old men will see dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. Things were going down. Acts 5.16 says that people were laying people Others that were sick, they would bring them out on cots and lay them in the streets so that the shadow of Peter would fall upon them. All they wanted was his shadow to fall because they believed there was so much faith and so much power from on high that they were hoping, just let a shadow pass on you and you'll be healed. This is insane. Luke records that people were filled with wonder and amazement. And this is what Peter says in Acts 3.12. He says, why does this surprise you? like, Peter, are you serious? Why does this surprise you? This is surprising you. You were so afraid. And now this is happening? You're just as surprised as the world is surprised. They throw him in prison. And they put him between two guards. And they put a sentry, which is one of the greatest soldiers, um, at the front gates of the prison. So that Peter cannot get out. And this is what happens. I love this this passage. God sends an angel to go and wake Peter, because Peter is between two guards. He's shackled, but he's fallen asleep, and God sends an angel. I can just imagine this right now. God saying to Gabriel, hey, can you go wake up Peter and get him out of there? He's in prison, and Gabriel going, excellent, I sure will. Gabriel goes down, and he, what does he do? He strikes Peter. He's sleeping, and Gabriel, bam, he strikes him. This is beautiful, because imagine this. If you Get a word from your dad to go wake up your little brother or something. You're not going to do it nicely like, hey, buddy, and sing him to sleep. No way. You're going to get him with a pillow. You're going to get him. Gabriel does the same thing, and he just strikes Peter. He wakes up. Peter sees what's going on. He thinks he's having a dream. He starts walking out. The shackles fall, and the doors open in front of him like he's at Walmart, and he's just walking through. It's unbelievable. He leaves prison and he's free. This is so beautiful. And he begins to preach with power. And Luke explains it like this. Acts 2.33, he says, Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. This is the explanation. Jesus said, Do not leave the city until you're clothed from power. Do not even start your ministry until this happens. And Luke is now saying, this is what Jesus was promising. This is what it looks like. Wow. This is the second work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, they received the Holy Spirit when Jesus breathed upon them. The Holy Spirit was in them, but not on them. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, this is when your life becomes supernatural. Nikki Gumbel in the Alpha program explains it this way. When you receive Christ and the Holy Spirit comes within you, it's like a pilot light. It's burning and it'll never go out. It's your seal. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it's like somebody takes the knob and turns on the gas and it ignites within you. It's two different things. You see, before Jesus started his ministry, he was baptized and scripture says the Holy Spirit descended upon him and he was anointed with power. Dwight Moody experienced this exact same thing. Dwight Moody was preaching to thousands. Dwight Moody was a very successful preacher. And one night, two ladies appeared in the front row and they started to come every single night. And they would constantly ask to pray for him. Their names were Auntie Cook and Mrs. Snow. They came up to him and asked if they could pray for him to receive power. And Dwight Moody said, pray for me. Don't Pray for the people. Don't pray for me. I don't need it. Pray for them. And they're like, no, 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 Dwight. You need it. And he was hurt. He's like, whoa, (laughs) that hurts. And so finally he said, okay, you can pray for me. And they laid hands on Dwight and they prayed for him. He had never before prayed to be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and he says that he went home, and he was filled with an overwhelming joy, and he spent a couple of days simply in prayer and worship. His preaching radically changed. He said this was the biggest change in his personal walk with Christ. Revivals broke out because of the power that was unleashed within him. Before, he was preaching through the power of man after he was preaching through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is to be expected. When we're filled with the Spirit, our gifts are empowered. Otherwise, our gifts remain dormant. You see, Dwight Moody was given the same gift of tongues as the disciples were given. There's a fair amount of confusion about the gift of tongues. Let's just unpack it a bit. When they spoke they were preaching and everybody heard in their own language. This is the most dominant use of the gift of tongues it is through preaching and the holy spirit interpreting often in different languages. Dwight Moody was preaching and the holy spirit was interpreting it to each person individually. This is the prominent use of the book or of the gift of tongues. A pastor from Vancouver was speaking in Argentina, and he showed up on stage, and the interpreter never showed up. And he had no idea what to do. So he simply started to preach, and as he preached, it was fluent Spanish. Unbelievable. Scott Mathies, while well, he was one of our pastors here at Willow Park, was in India, and there was a, a man who he believed God was calling him to go preach to, so Scott went up to the man, and he started speaking to the man in fluent Hindi. And Scott did not know Hindi he actually knew Hindi for three or four days afterwards. He was upset when it started to fade. And as Billy Graham preaches, something unbelievable happens. At one of his first crusades in London, a Russian nobleman came up to him and started speaking in Russian. He had no idea what was going on until one of his prayer people spoke Russian and and, and figured it out that as Billy Graham was speaking, the man heard every word that he was saying in Russian. Every word. Now when Billy Graham preaches, there's interpreters from every single language represented there, and there would be a sign for each of them, Spanish, Russian, and all of them would be at the front so that as they heard in their own language, they had to become and prayed for in their own language, not from Billy Graham. This is the gift of tongues of different languages. And we should be expecting that. Jesus said, don't worry what to say. He said, at that time... You will be given what to say. He tells them, simply open your mouth, and I will speak through you. When we are called to pray for somebody, we're called to simply pray. And God will give us the words. It's beautiful. And I think many of you have experienced this. When we go to Los Angeles and we go to Skid Row, what we do is we, we simply love and humanize the people down there. We set up a spa for the ladies because as a woman, if you don't feel beautiful, if there's no way for you to do any sort of personal hygiene or have any sort of makeup or have your hair done, it's so dehumanizing. So we'll do a spa for the ladies and we'll do just, it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And as our girls are are doing their nails or whatever, we tell the girls to pray for these ladies and they're like, well, what do we say? This is so scary. A lot of these girls, remember, are just new believers. And we say this, simply say, dear Jesus, and start talking and the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. And as they start praying for these ladies, it is like power from heaven is unleashed. God is giving them these words that are so beautiful and so empowering and so loving. This is the same gift that we see in the disciples in Acts 2. And I've seen you all do this. We should expect this as followers of Christ. But there's also a different variation of this gift that I would be remiss not to mention. The gift of tongues in Scripture is predominantly different languages, but we also see a prayer language and praise language in Scripture. There's a pastor in Carpentria, California, named Britt Merrick, and his daughter Daisy um, had cancer. And she had to go in and get chemo. And as they hooked up the chemo, um, the product, the bag, whatever it was, there was an IV into her chest. But unfortunately, they gave her the wrong chemo medication. And they gave her an adult dose. As they started to pump it into her body, what happened was her whole body started to swell. She turned blue. She stopped breathing. And she was going into anaphylactic shock. And she was dying. She was five years old. So her daddy is watching his daughter die before him. And he loses his mind. He doesn't know what to do. So he puts his hands upon her, and he starts to pray, but he doesn't, even, he doesn't even know what to express. He doesn't know how to pray. And he says, from out of his mouth came a different language, a spiritual language. He explains it this way, Romans 8, 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. This is when the Holy Spirit takes over. When we cannot express what we need to express. Simply put, this gift is simply when the spirit of a person, when your spirit, enabled by the Spirit of God, is able to praise or pray to God in a way that is unknown to the mind of a person. When someone who has a burden to say something or prays in a way that we don't have the words for or sometimes even the mental ability for. So some of you in this room have this gift. Some of you do. And it's beautiful. And scripture says it is for the edification or the building up of the individual. If you don't have words to say, if you can't express yourself, sometimes God will give you this spiritual gift And it's beautiful. But you need to listen very carefully. Is that this gift is not for everybody. Some people would claim that the gift of tongues is proof of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The word baptism of the Holy Spirit often refers to the first time somebody is filled. They would say that it is evidence of that. But this is a very damaging assertion. It creates tremendous pressure on people to fake this gift, to abuse it, and sometimes even to elevate it. Paul says that we don't all have the gifts. We don't all have them. And I'm so happy about that. 1 Corinthians says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? In other words, no, we all have different gifts. Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Paul speaks of the greater gifts being the gifts that build up the body. We'll get to that in a moment. There are some gifts that are lightning rod gifts, aren't there? Tongues and prophecy are the most abused and misused in the church. And they're easily faked and counterfeited. In some circles, overemphasized. And in other circles, because of maybe previous abuse or overemphasis, they create anxiety. We almost become allergic to them. And so we flee from them and they make us uncomfortable. Simply because of lack of knowledge. And Paul takes an entire chapter to clear it up. The Corinthians were coming out of a pagan culture. And the Corinthians had a tendency to elevate gifts, and the Corinthians had a tendency to abuse gifts. So, Paul takes an entire chapter. He says this follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. He's saying, you know what? Desire them, it's fine. But this is how. Desire especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them, they utter mysteries by the Spirit but those who prophesy speak to God for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so the church may be edified. Tongues go from people to God. Prophecy goes from God to people. Let me explain this. When I say the word prophecy, we all in this room have a different idea of what I'm saying. Because it has been used in a variety of ways, but scripture makes it very clear and very simple. You see, in the Old Testament, before Jesus, before the Holy Spirit descended on earth, and before the New Testament, God used prophets for two reasons. To speak to people so that he can guide us, and number two, to convict of sin. So God used prophets as his mouthpiece. In the New Testament, he no longer does that. Prophecy is a very different thing today. Because now he uses scripture to guide us, And to convict us of sin, he uses the life of Christ, who perfectly represents God, to guide us and convict us of sin, and he uses the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and to guide us. He no longer uses prophecy in the same way. So, when the New Testament uses the word prophecy, this is what it is speaking of. Paul says to the Corinthians, he who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Prophecy now is when you or I bring a word to somebody else of encouragement, strengthening, or comfort. It is as simple as saying, God, give me your heart for this person, and then saying to them, You know what? I have watched you with your children, your patience. It is simply bringing a word of encouragement, comfort, and strengthening. That is what prophecy is. As you worship, or as you pray, or as you read scripture, God will reveal something to you in your spirit. A word of encouragement for somebody else, have the boldness to speak that to them. That is what church should be. I believe that every time we gather, we should be speaking words of encouragement to each other. Scripture tells us to encourage each other daily because that removes the deceitfulness of sin, doesn't it? We sin when we're discouraged, we are blinded when we are discouraged. We are called to prophesy. When we are filled with the Spirit, what do we do? We prophesy. And what is prophecy? Bringing a word of strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. It's so simple, isn't it? When we pray for each other, we simply open our mouths and allow God to give us his heart for that person. This is prophecy. It is not mysterious. It is not some crazy concept. It is not anxiety-causing. It is simple. This is so beautiful. This is a huge part of the church. 1 Corinthians 14, so it is with you. Since you're eager for the gifts of spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. That is why they build the church. And so this is why I believe the church should be, seriously, the lighthouse of the world. That when people come in here, they leave so built, so freed. That is why the scripture talks so strongly about unity in the church. And that is why gossip works perfectly in Counterintuitively to what the church is about. We are only called to build each other up and not the opposite. Because this is the heart of God, is it not? He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. So, when we are filled with the Spirit, what comes out? The heart of God. Think about um, all of our, all the people who are martyred in Scripture. I think about them as they are dying I think about the disciples as they're being stoned. I think about Jonathan. What does he say? Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. Does that sound familiar to you? Who else said that? That is Jesus. He has the very heart of God. So even as he is dying and getting stoned to death, he has his heart because he's filled with the Spirit. That's what happens. This is beautiful. This is prophecy. There is another form of prophecy in the New Testament, and it's different. The second prophetic role is proclaiming the word of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of that is the same thing, to strengthen, build up, and encourage, but it is similar to a preaching role If somebody is to speak prophecy publicly, it looks a lot like what's happening right now, hopefully, and the Holy Spirit is interpreting. That is sort of the second role of prophecy in the New Testament. And the third is the office of the prophet. Now, this is not very common today because we have the Holy Spirit, because we have the scripture, and because we have the life of Christ to look upon. But sometimes God will call somebody with the gift of the prophet. And what this simply is, is revealing what Scripture already says and saying, get back to that word. I think of a man like Francis Chan in my own life. As I read some of his writings, to me, they redirect and they they shift how I think. Back in the 90s, for me, Tony Campolo had that role for me. He said, are you completely forgetting justice? What about all the poor? What about all the needy? Where has the church gone? And sometimes these people who have the gift of the prophet and point out scripture do that. But this is very important. Is that this person, if they exist within the local church, work very closely with the eldership of the church. They submit to their authority. They bring their words to leadership for them to weigh, to pray on, for them to discern. This person has a history of truth and integrity and humbly submits to authority. But when we speak of prophecy in the New Testament, we are not speaking of the role of the prophet. We are speaking of the building up, strengthening, and encouraging of each other. This is beautiful. I believe that God calls us all to prophesy. I believe that he calls us to do this in everything that we do. I had the opportunity to go to Africa with... um, This really beautiful man. Um, He's been a pastor of a church in Moncton, New Brunswick for 42 years. Um, His name is Laurel Buckingham. And uh, he started this church and it was tiny and now it's the biggest church in Atlantic Canada. And he told me this. He said once he took the role of prophecy seriously in his own life that he is supposed to be somebody to build up, encourage, and strengthen. It changed every day of his life. Now when he goes out for coffee, his purpose is not to see what he can get out of the conversation or how he can feel better or how he can even guide people. He simply meets every day with people to strengthen and encourage. And it's changed everything in his life. It's changed the way that he relates to his wife and to his parents and his children. He's a man who meets with lots of elected officials like premiers in the East. And he would always be so nervous. How do I present myself? But now he says, I simply pray, Jesus, how can I build up this premier? And now he goes into the meeting with this one mindset of building this man. And it changes everything. And it has set him free in his giftings. It's unbelievable. You see, we are technically living in the end times, the time after the resurrection and before the return of Christ. And scripture says that your sons and daughters will prophesy. It's not your sons and daughters might prophesy, they will. They will reveal the heart of God for others. Young men will see visions. Old men will see, will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days, and he repeats it again. Oh, and they will prophesy. So it starts with you will prophesy, and it ends with you will prophesy. In other words, get the point. I need to repeat it over and over. You are created to build each other up. That's why. Now, some of you have varying levels of gifts. And it's great. Some of you are unbelievable prayers. Others of you are strong leaders. Others of you have the gift of helps. Others of you have the gift of discernment or wisdom or knowledge, teaching. You name it. In this room, we have all the gifts represented. This is beautiful. And here's something you need to know is that no gift is a sign of the super spiritual. His love for you is perfect. It cannot increase. So even if he could love you more, he wouldn't gift you differently. The Greek word referring to the gifts is the word charismata. This is where we get the word charity from. In other words, they are a gift, and a gift is never earned. The biggest evidence in our life of the Holy Spirit are not the gifts it is our love for each other if you want to know if you are fully spirit full of the spirit look at your heart gifts are simply tools that express that love but if you want to know if you're moving and shaking in the spiritual look at your heart if you want to see somebody else who's moving in the spirit don't look at their gifts look at their heart Scripture's abundantly clear on this. Man, you could speak in tongues of men and angels. You can have wisdom, knowledge. You can have the gifts coming out all over the place. But without love, you are a clanging cymbal. You are a resounding gong. The love is what fuels the power that we have. He desires you to, to be full of the Holy Spirit. And I think so often we go into situations in our life and we try to do it on our own power instead of simply coming to him first and say, Jesus, I need you to fill me with your spirit because I need to be clothed with power from on high. I feel more like the disciples before Acts 2 than after Acts 2. I feel like you're saying, don't leave the city and don't represent me yet because yeah, you've received the Holy Spirit but it is not upon you yet. And scripture says, ask and you will be filled. Ask and you will be filled. With Jesus, he was filled with the Spirit at his baptism. And scripture says that he was filled without measure. See, he was given the fullness of the Spirit because he could handle it. He's the Son of God. He was filled without measure. Me and you, we are filled with measure. And because Jesus was without sin and he was perfectly aligned with the will of God, he never had to be filled again, ever. But me and you, we are sinful and our wills do not align with the will of God and therefore we grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives and it is necessary to be filled all the time. It is necessary to be filled daily. It is necessary to be filled before we go to work before we go on a date, before we speak to our children, before we take a test. It is necessary to be filled constantly. Scripture calls us to do this because God wants to clothe you with power. He desires to engage your gifts and make you useful and effective. And I think sometimes I look at my life and I I see myself before, like Dwight Moody, before being filled with the Spirit. Just saying words of man, not words that are anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit and interpreted by him. And I need to simply every day, before I get up and speak every time, before I serve in any way, before I go and offer a coffee to somebody who looks lonely, I need to be asked to be filled with the Spirit. And so this is a beautiful thing that we can walk in every single day, being clothed with power from on high. Amen. This is the word for the church today. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I invite you to do this. I invite you to start to use your mouth for prophecy daily. To use only words that build each other up. If you have any free time, maybe perhaps you're in front of your computer and you're on Facebook or email, you can simply pray something like, Jesus, what is your heart for Fill in the blank and then start to type encouragement. You can be a vessel of his redemption through your words. When somebody has annoyed you or when you're having a a disagreement or argument with somebody, if you simply say, Jesus, what is your heart for this person? And then simply speak those words out, it will change everything. We're called to love our enemies. How in the world can we love our enemies? We can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit when we have the heart of God like Stephen did as he was being martyred. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that we would be like Paul, Lord, that when we open our mouths, that you would give us words, God, so that we can fearlessly make known this mystery, God. God, I pray that the the words of the prophet Joel would be true in our day, Lord. That the spirit would be poured out upon us and we would prophesy. God, that we would be like Stephen. That we would have your heart for even our enemies. God, I pray that we would be a people that truly soar on wings like eagles. God, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you that you desire not just to dwell within us, God, but to come upon us and give us power from on high. Jesus, I thank you for our heritage. God, I thank you for those who have gone before us, Jesus. I thank us. thank you for our word, God, that you've given us. I thank you that we have scripture now to guide us. God, I thank you now that you've given us the Holy Spirit to guide us and you've given us your Son to show us your heart, God. Help us be good stewards of this new reality, God. Help us not take that for granted. Jesus, we love you and we just want to bring our worship to you now, Jesus. We want to be your ambassadors here, God. We want to be a living sacrifice. Thank you, God, for your word. Amen.